so good. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 97. We're going to be in Psalm 97 this morning. So today is kind of a strange day. Obviously, we just have one service, but it's also strange because typically the last Sunday of the year um, is this strange one-off sermon where, whether it's me or Fritz or one of our elders, when we gather together on this last Sunday of the month, Ross always says, hey, this is a you pick it sermon. So, so Todd, you pray about this, you think about this, and you get to pick what you want to preach. And so that's strange for us. Normally we're in a series, we're working through whole books of the Bible. It's also strange because uh, I've been here 11 years, worked here 11 years, a little over that, as the worship leader here. And I've uh, had the chance to preach a few times and never actually preached on what I'm going to preach on today, and that is worship. Duh, right? Surely the worship leader can talk on worship. And so that's a little strange because I'm talking about that thing. And then the third way it's strange is that um, we're not going to do this like a normal Bethel sermon, okay? So you can tattle on me if you want to to Ross once we're done. We're going to do this a little differently. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we're going to do it differently. So today is going to be somewhere between a sermon and a testimony. Sort of in between sermon and a personal testimony of me as a worship leader. I'll give you some context. I started leading worship when I was 14. I was in a youth group. I could sing a little. I could play a little guitar. And a youth pastor saw me and said, hey, I want you to lead worship. And I started leading worship maybe once a month or maybe a Wednesday night thing. And so I started when I was 14. And really since that time, there's not been a, a month go by that I didn't lead worship somewhere. And in 2020, I'll turn 44. I know. <laughs> Which means that next year is my 30-year anniversary of being a worship leader. And so as I've been praying about this and thinking about this, what I've realized is that there are some things that I have learned as a worship leader from doing it, from actually leading worship, that have confirmed what God says about it. So that's how following Jesus can be sometimes. So you can be a Christian, you can be following Jesus, and there can be these truths and these principles in Scripture that you say, yes, I believe that, I, I, I affirm that, yes, I know it's true, and I know God tells the truth, and I affirm that. And yet, sometimes in your life, you go through a thing where all of a sudden that Scripture starts to make so much more sense. It's like you go through something, you're like, oh, it's, it's almost as if you go, huh, God knows what he's talking about. That verse actually is true. And so I want to talk to you that way today, which is different than what we normally do. Normally we, we pull up a big text and we draw context and truth and meaning from this big text. You can call that expository preaching or exegetical teaching, whatever you want to call it. We've got a lot of big words for that. But we're going to flip the script today. I'm going to tell you some things, some truths about corporate worship that I believed in practice. I believed, yeah, I'm sure that's the truth. But it took God teaching me firsthand from his word and from experience that that was the truth. These are things that have been proven to me over and over and over again about corporate worship. And I'm talking about what we're doing right now. So worship is a big word. It, it can mean a lot of different things. But I'm talking about what happens when God's people get together to exalt him and worship him and focus on him and give him praise and sing together and pray together and read his word together. So today, you could say, I'm going to give you some descriptions of what good worship is. 
We actually hear that a lot. Sometimes if the band really kills it, they're walking out. Sometimes some of you will say, hey, good worship today. Or maybe you find a new church and you're telling somebody, oh, they got good worship there. Well, I want us to look at God's word at what good worship actually is. More than just, I like it. More than just, it was cool. More than just, it sounded good. But what does good corporate worship actually look like? So the first lesson that God has had to teach me is this. Good worship is reverent. Good worship, good corporate worship is reverent. Let's look at Psalm 97. This is, a, this is a big, long verse here. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is a verse, so I grew up in church. This is a verse I grew up knowing and hearing. And as a kid, it always scared me a little. It seemed like super intense. As a Christian... Even as a kid, I would say, yes, that's true. Psalm 97 is true. I affirmed that, but I didn't like it. When I was a young worship leader, I liked the verses that said, God loves you with an everlasting love. And if God's for you, who can be against you? I didn't like the big scary verses. And in fact, I didn't want to lead worship like these big scary verses. When I first started leading worship, there was a very popular song. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it for you in just a minute. I'm going to play you the audio. And some of you who grew up in church, and if you're a youth group kid, you will know this. But this is the type of worship I wanted to lead. This is a song called Sing Like the Saved. So, amazing lyrics. Does anybody remember that song? Anybody? Okay. So, here's what would happen. I see Jason Bien. I know he knows that song. So, here's what would happen. When you would lead Sing Like the Saved, and you would sing it four times, you can't really hear it on this live recording, but you do that, like, sing like the saved, and then all of the kids in the youth group would jump up and down like crazy and scream, la, 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 and it was wild, okay? It was a party, believe me. That's the kind of worship I wanted to lead. I wanted to lead fun, joy. I wanted to feel good. 
I wanted worship to feel good. I wanted to jump around and scream and shout and blow the speakers out of the building. I wanted to go all in. In fact, I just remembered this morning, Kristen and I, my wife one time, were leading a youth rally and I had seen a guy play his guitar with a pen, okay? He had an ink pen and he would, he'd play the strings and it sounded kind of like a dulcimer. And I had this bright idea on a different song, kind of like Sing Like the Saved, where I was going to play the pen to start it off. And then the band was going to all come in. And I was so excited and so hyped up that I'm playing the pen. And right as the band comes in, I've got to get rid of the pen, right? So when I'd rehearsed it, I just dropped the pen. It was a big, thick ink pen. But instead, I was so excited that I went to throw it out into the crowd. Okay, can you imagine if I did that here? Can you imagine? But I let go a little too early, and instead of the pen going out, the pen went sideways and came about this far from Kristen's nose. And I remember looking over as the song's playing and her looking at me with those eyes like, you're nuts, what are you doing? But that's the kind of worship I wanted to lead. There was another song around the same time that I, I loved but didn't want to lead. There was a guy by the name of Bob Fitz. Bob Fitz was an integrity worship leader. He wrote these beautiful, sweet songs. He was an amazing worship leader. And he just had this like really uh, sweet spirit, very soft-spoken. It was, it was like Mr. Rogers leading worship. I just loved Bob Fitz. And he had this song that I so wanted to lead based on Psalm 97. And it was called The Lord Reigns. I'm going to play it for you. Joyous, right? Tom, let's keep going. I want to keep playing it. Keep playing the, we, let's get to the. Okay. So I don't know if you heard what Mr. Rogers just said. This happy verse, a fire goes before him and burns up all of his enemies. And if you, if you were to listen to The Lord Reigns by Bob Fitz on the way home, you would hear the next line. It's like, the hills melt like wax. It takes this, this weird, and I, didn't li I, I wouldn't leave The Lord Reigns because it felt so weird to sing all this stuff. I wanted the happy. I wanted the joyous. I wanted to have an absolute party every time we led worship. I would have affirmed even at that time that yes, good worship should be reverent. But what began to happen is God began to, as I led worship more, began to teach me the truth of Psalm 97. This verse that talks about that, that, that there is fire and there is trembling around him and that the enemies quake and that, and that his power and might goes before him. And as I led more and more worship, what I began to realize is that, oh, Psalm 97 is actually such an encouraging verse. That there is a reverence to reading Psalm 97 that says, God, you are mighty, you are strong, you are powerful. Nobody can beat you. Nobody can touch you. I started to see that real people going through real struggles didn't need a party. They didn't need something to distract them and feel good about themselves. We do fine distracting ourselves. We got that on lock. You've probably got seven apps on your phone right now. 
completely designed to distract yourself. But what I began to learn as I would lead worship more and more, it's like, oh my goodness, people are coming in there singing la 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 doesn't help them. What helps them and what helps me as a worship leader is to realize that we serve a God who is strong and true, a God who is mighty. Good worship is reverent. People need to know that God sits on a throne. And when you worship that way, when you worship under that idea that, oh, this is supposed to be reverent. This is not something we just sashay into God's presence. We just come in flippantly. When you begin to understand, oh, God deserves honor and reverence and fear and trembling and joy, then that drastically changes what kind of worshiper you are. Which leads me to the second lesson that God had to teach me, which is that good worship is formative. What that means is, is that good worship forms you. It shapes you. It makes you into something. Now, I'm about to read a whole bunch of verses. I'm going to read them fast. There's no way you could jump to them. But I want you to hear how redundant this sounds after about the third or fourth verse. You ready? Psalm 3, 1 through 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 7, 2 through 3. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Isaiah 30, 8 through 9, and now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. That's just a few of the verses in the Bible where God talks about this thing. Obviously, God is making a point for us that says, you need God's truth, I need God's truth, we need it in front of us and in us and around us and behind us. That, that God tells us in his word, this stuff should go with you. It should form you. It should shape you. Now listen, as a Christian, as a young worship leader, I would have agreed with all of this. But if I was being honest back then, here's what I would have told you. I did not get this. I thought that good worship, good corporate worship, when we come together, was that when a whole bunch of people who were already fired up about Jesus came in the room and went nuts together. That's what I thought. And, and I would get mad as a worship leader. I would. Be like, why aren't they getting into it? What's wrong? Are these people not Christians? Do they not understand this? I had that backwards. What God had to teach me through scriptures like this and through leading worship, God began to show me that that can be faked. You can manipulate a crowd to jump up and down and scream and raise their hands. What God taught me was, is that true good worship often works the other way. 
that God's children come together and they get fired up and shaped up by what they hear. That the things that we say and, and sing and pray and read and do on Sunday morning are supposed to form you, form me, and shape us on Tuesday night, on Thursday morning. That what we do in here has a power to help you. The good worship is formative. It should stay with us. It should build us. It should draw us closer to Jesus. So, first of all, remember, good worship is reverent. Good worship is formative. And the third thing, and this has been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn, is that good worship is communal. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read two verses here. This is a verse a lot of people don't know. I found that as I've mentioned this, there are a lot of people who have never heard this verse. This is a verse, again, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, that I would have affirmed as a young worship leader. This is what it says. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God's design is that good worship is communal. It is a thing that we do together. I can remember the exact moment when I learned this. I was a worship leader in Lufkin, Texas at First United Methodist Church. And I got asked to speak to a group of musicians from the Wesley Foundation in Nacogdoches. So this was the college association that the Methodists had there in Nacogdoches at SFA. And so their worship team wanted to do this seminar, this clinic. And so they asked me to do it. And because I was young and not very smart, I thought, of course they want me to. I'm awesome. Let's do it. And so all these musicians came, singers and players and all these people. And I was so excited. I'd worked so hard on it. In fact, I even wired up. I mean, there were only like eight kids there. I'd even wired up to record the audio in case anybody wanted the podcast after I was done. And, I, and, and so we, we did some stuff, you know, some kind of team building and icebreakers and all this sort of stuff. And I had this question I was going to ask these kids. And, and the question, I did ask them, the question was, hey, in corporate worship, in sort of the gathered worship of God's people, when's a time when you felt closest to God? When is a time when you were in worship and, and it was so pure and so authentic that you were being so open and honest with your praise that you felt like you were literally at the feet of Jesus. Because here's what I thought they were going to say. And I had answers prepared for this. Something at college kids. Here's what I'm expecting them to say. I'm expecting somebody to say, oh, well, two years ago, I went to the Passion Conference and there were 8,000 kids and we were all worshiping and it was so loud and it was so amazing and we were so supercharged and it was this awesome weekend. Everything was perfect. They had greeters and they had small groups. And so I thought, okay, if somebody says something, I had an answer for that. Oh, oh, you like that? Well, let me tell you how to promote an event. This is what you do. If you want a bunch of people to be at your thing, this is how you do that. Or I expected somebody to say, oh man, I, you know, 
I went to a Newsboys show and they had a haze machine and lasers and I thought that was so cool and that, that was really amazing that church could be that awesome. And so in my mind, I had an answer. Oh, let me give you some websites you can go look at and talk to people about how to use smoke machines, how to use lasers. And so I had kind of five or six answers loaded and I can remember as they started going around the circle and telling when they felt closest to God, I had no answer. So I look at the worship leader and I said, what about you? When's the time you felt closest to God? And she goes, probably my grandma's funeral. I'm like, huh? And I'm like, and she kind of keeps talking. She goes, yeah, it was towards the end. And she mentioned some song. I can't remember now. It's so long ago. But, but the organist played this, this classical piece, like this piece by Bach or whatever. But, I, but I, I recognized it. It was this really dark kind of minor key thing. And I thought, well, she doesn't get it. That's not what we're talking about. So I go to the next guy, and the next guy's like, oh, man, we had a worship retreat with this group, like, last summer. And, you know, we went, and we did Bible study, and he, he is something like, and, you know, that night, the, the, our worship leader left, and I just had my guitar, and I only know three or four chords, and, man, I'm a horrible singer, but we sat around the campfire, and I started leading songs, and, man, it was just such a pure time of worship. It was just so powerful, and I'm thinking, what? He, he, you're not even a singer, you know? And, and then I remember somebody else goes, I, I don't know if this, I remember this is called, she goes, I don't know if this is what you're wanting to know, but my church did a foot washing ceremony last year. And that was like the, the closest I've ever felt to God. And I had no answer for that. I had no answer for those things. And, and I literally, because I didn't know what to do, I asked them. I went to the girl and these two guys and I said, but why? Why are you telling me that the funeral's when you felt closest to God? And so the girl goes, well, because I was with my family. And we were hurting and we were grieving and we were all together. And it just felt so safe. And we were in God's house. And I knew that God was with us. And I knew I could look around and see these people that, that had my back. And that I could cry in front of or talk to. And the guy from the retreat goes... It was, so, it was so awesome because I wasn't worried about how bad my voice was. These are my friends. These are my brothers and sisters. We were just worshiping. We weren't worried about any of that. And then the foot washing guy, he's like, man, we didn't even sing. We did the foot washing in total silence. But there was something about me loving and caring for these people and them doing it for me that was absolutely amazing. I felt like it was, I was on holy ground. And I started to realize, oh. Good worship, good, healthy corporate worship is communal. I am not against concerts or productions. But what I understand from God's word is that when the local church gets together, there is something better than smoke machines. There is something better than lasers. There is something better than 8,000 people in a room, that there is a beauty in the way that God has designed it. That good worship puts you in a room where 1 Corinthians tells us that if one person suffers, all suffer with them. When one person rejoices, they all rejoice. That good worship is communal. Almost done. I'll tell you this one last little thing. When Chris and I first got married, I wanted to be Stephen Curtis Chapman. That's who I wanted to be, Okay. Didn't work out, if you didn't know. I wanted to be a singer-songwriter, and I wanted to go, and I wanted to do concerts, okay? That's what I wanted to do. 
So I would, I would try to book these gigs, these disciple nows and, and retreats and revivals or whatever. And I wanted to go and I wanted to do my 10 or 11 songs that I had written. Okay. But at the same time, I was leading worship in a church. Chris and I were going to a church and I was leading worship once or twice a month. And inevitably, when you play a youth gig or really any gig, if you're doing a concert, what would always happen is the youth guy or the worship leader would say, hey, it's really great. Really, your songs are great. Could you also lead some worship? Like at the end of the concert, could you lead some worship? And I would begrudgingly say, okay, you know. And so I would, I would play these concerts, and they were always bad. They were always bad, okay? They were always so bad. I'm so embarrassed looking back on it now. Thank goodness nobody had Facebook or Instagram back then because you'd probably fire me on the spot. They were so bad. And I would, I would drag all these musicians and we would play the littlest churches and I would always leave upset because it didn't, you know, seem like a Stephen Curtis Chapman show when it was done. And, and I had all this anxiety about it. Kristen and I were newly married. And I remember Kristen one day, probably after one of these gigs that went so bad, Listen, they went so bad, sometimes people would yell out at me, okay? In fact, I'll tell you this, it's in my notes, but Ross isn't here, we can have fun. <laughs> One time I played this, this gig, and I was so nervous about it. There were like seven people in this church, and it was mostly elderly people, and, and, I, and I was trying to be funny, and I said, hey, you know, and I'm you know, playing the humble card, and... And so I, I just on the fly say, yeah, my grandfather always said, don't ever apologize ahead of time for, for not sounding good. Just, just play, just do what you're going to do because if you're bad, people will know soon enough, right? And so it gets a little laugh. And so I start playing the concert. And it's not going great. And we're getting to a part of the show that was really complicated. We were going to trade instruments. I had created this really elaborate key change sort of thing. And I got nervous. I got scared. And so I started apologizing. The thing I said I wasn't going to do because I was just, I was scared to death. And I'm talking and there's a man. I remember his name was Mr. Ben. And he was kind of in the back right corner back here. And he puts his hands to his mouth in the middle of my concert and goes, remember your grandfather. <laughs> Todd Wright Band in concert. <laughs> I have a lot of stories like that. But, but I, I say that because it was after one of those. I can't remember what had happened, but some sort of show had gone bad. And I remember driving home or maybe we were already back and I remember Kristen looking at me we were newly married and I remember her saying you know when we go do these things we go do these concerts you're you're just a nightmare like you're 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 anxious and you're sweaty and you're yelling at the band and you're you're upset and it feels like it never goes right and she goes but you know when we're at church and you lead worship it's like it feels like it's the most natural thing in the world to you now, some of that was because of my calling. I, I know that. And that was an important conversation I had with Kristen because I began to see, oh, God's calling me to this other thing. He's gifted me for this other thing. But at the same time, I started to realize, oh, yeah, when I, when I lead worship at my church, I'm with people that I know, people that I love and people that love me. And that good worship is communal. I bet if I went around the room 
And I started to ask you, when's a time in worship where you felt the closest to God? Hardly any of you would say, I went to a Hillsong show. Hardly any of you would say, oh, you know, I, I went to this giant festival. Oh, I went to see for King and Country, and that's the closest I've ever felt to God. I bet most of you would have some story like those college kids. Man, I was a part of a thing with people that I loved and people who loved me, and there was something about that, that we were all worshiping together. Good worship is communal. I can remember when Bethel was just in this building. We didn't have a downtown campus. We didn't have anything. And I can remember when we started growing, we were at two services and both of them were filled up. And I could remember some, some of the folks who've been at Bethel for a long time, we started to talk about, well, what are we going to do? We're running out of room. And I can remember hearing Ross talk about, just in, in planning, oh, should we build the big giant sanctuary? Should we start to build this big two-story thing here in South Tyler? And then we can just grow and grow and grow. I can remember that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I remember getting excited thinking, yes, I'm going to get to lead worship to 2,000 people, 3,000 people, 4,000 people. Sky's the limit. And I can remember walking through that process as elders and deacons and staff begin to pray. And, and in my own heart and hearing Ross lead us as well, being so convicted about my own selfishness there. And then when we started to make this plan of like, no, we're going we're gonna to have campuses all over the place with groups of people who actually know each other. We want to make churches where it's very hard to slip in and slip out undetected. And I remember having to learn the value of that. And I'm going to tell you something. Now, years later, I'm so glad we did that because God's designed corporate worship for you to be in the room with people you know, you love, and people who love you. What I want you to understand here about good worship is that it works best like this. And so why tell you all that? Why talk about reverence and worship being formative and worship being communal? Because you actually already know this. Some of you know this. Some of you who have recently been church shopping, or if you've ever done that in your life where you're looking for a church, there are probably times you've walked out of a church after a worship service and thought, something's off. Something's not right. That, that felt like too much of a show or man, that was too big or man, that was a lot of fluff and not a lot of depth. I believe if you're a child of God, he's put this in you, that in your heart, you are designed for reverence. You are designed for the truth of God's word to form you and shape you. And you are designed for community. And so why talk about that? Why even preach that today? Because... I believe that when you understand this, that good worship is reverent, good worship is formative, and good worship is communal, that 2020 for you as a worshiper will be outstanding. I'll end with this. I love this church, and y'all are great. We've got great musicians. We've got great technicians. We've got a great congregation. I have many worship leader friends who are so jealous of me that I get to lead here. You're so encouraging and so supportive and I want you to know I love it and I'm so grateful. And I want you to know that we really get very few complaints around here about, about our Sunday morning time. Hardly any complaints. But I'm going to tell you one that we do get sometimes. And I'm going to say it. Some of you would be like, what? And some of you are going to be like, yeah, I felt like that. Usually with somebody new, newish to Bethel, this is the complaint I'll get. 
Hold it in your head because maybe you guessed it. But I'll have somebody grab me or grab one of the musicians and they'll say, kind of dead in here, isn't it? They'll say, man, you, you know, you guys are singing good songs. And it sounds good and everybody seems real friendly. But, man, why are people jumping, shouting, lifting hands, clapping, getting excited in here? Now, my first instinct is to go, I know. Why aren't they doing that? Because I believe we should worship with joy. I'll be honest. I would not be mad with more people getting excited in here. But what I know is that when I talk to people like that, I know that's, that's my flesh. That's me going, yeah, it would be a lot more fun selfishly to go, oh, look at everybody. I have some of this kind of weird metric of like, well, I guess worship was good. There were 10 hands in the air instead of five or whatever. But if I have the presence of mind to talk to people who have that concern or that complaint, this is the stuff we want to talk about. These are the things we aim for. Reverence, the truth of God shaping us, loving and caring for one another. That's what I want our church to be. If, if we do those things, and if you start coming to church on Sundays thinking about those things, you can keep your hands in your pockets the whole time because that's what matters. This is the stuff that will help us and change us and use us to bring glory to God. We want to be reverent. We want to be formative. We want to be communal. And so I'm going to ask you today to pray with me. I'm going to have Matt come up. We're going to sing one more song before we're done. Here's what I mean by praying with me. We, we always pray at the end of the service and and that's normal. But a lot of times we pray and we pray, you know, Ross is praying for the time and encouraging you to pray and make commitments. I'm going to ask you to do something as I pray today. I'm really going to ask you to pray with me for our church. I want us to pray together for Bethel Bible Church. Not just the South Campus, although that's where I am and so that's on my mind. That, that together we would pray, God, in this year, will you help us to be a reverent people? Will you help us to be open to the truth of your word and let it change us? And God, will you help us to love one another and be a family? And I ask you to pray that for us today. Pray that we would come in next week completely focused on that, not focused on all the other stuff. Would you bow with me? Let's pray together.